0: And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father. From the gospel according to St. John, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's taken 11 years, but my wife finally got me to read C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. I know, it's very embarrassing. But in C.S. Lewis's wonderful, and I say wonderful, novel, Paralandra, a middle-aged professor named Ransom visits Venus to stop the fall of God's good creation there. And he meets a lady with green skin who is best described as the Eve of that planet. And Ransom ta- Ransom's task, as he discovers, is to protect her and the whole creation from the temptations to sin thrown at her by his deranged and demon possessed colleague, Weston, a man who has lost something of his humanness, becoming what Lewis calls in the story the unman. Ransom realizes halfway through the novel that he cannot, as he argues day and night, he cannot argue the virtues of good against evil. Not with her and not with his enemy. He comes to consider that his task might very well be to kill the unman, to kill the tempter with his bare hands. And indeed what follows is one of the greatest, most well-written fight scenes between two fat middle-aged men that has ever been written. Lewis, Lewis writes this, It was fortunate that something so horrible should be so obviously out of the question. Almost, but not quite, Ransom decreed that whatever the silence and the darkness seemed to be saying about this, no such crude materialistic struggle could possibly be intended. Any suggestion to the contrary must be only his own morbid fancy. It would degrade the spiritual warfare to the condition of mere mythology. But here he got another check. Ransom had been perceiving that the triple distinction of truth from myth and of both from fact was purely terrestrial, was part and parcel of that unhappy division between soul and body which resulted from the fall. Even on earth, the sacraments existed as a a permanent reminder that the division was neither wholesome nor final. The incarnation had been the beginning of its disappearance." Look on any newsstand in any grocery store this time of year and you will see much the same idea. The human problem is so horrid, so complex, that it must take a good deal of thought, genius, expertise, and reason to fix it. Not to mention a good number of all the wrong people and wrong ideas getting out of the way. And any of this business about Jesus Christ must be exactly the opposite, a crude myth. We divide the visible from the invisible and the made from the unmade, the seen from the unseen. Surely some say we can have Christmas, even be Christian, without the virgin birth, with all of this business of the Son of God dying on a cross, without all this business of the invisible God taking on human flesh. With all this morbid and ridiculous assertion that God is not simply the God of ideas or of a well-reasoned cosmic principle, but a person worthy of our love and, above all, our worship? Can't we just do away with all that? Further, it is thought to be impossible that God could truly love us. What about all the calamities in the world? How could a loving God let all of that happen? In short, the modern conception is a God who has very little to do with flesh and blood. Who lets the world keep on ticking away the days while God stands afar off. Not loving us, certainly not in any flesh and blood way, nor demanding to be loved in return. Woefully unsympathetic to every problem, every pain, every suffering, every struggle, and most certainly to every sin. Yet that is precisely what the church asserts on this night. That that is exactly who God is. And the church has asserted it from the beginning. A most unlikely thing, when you think about it, that 11 Jews would strike out Someday many years later, and teach that the invisible God had become one with us. That the God that God the Son has joined our nature to Himself, has become one with us truly, that we might become precisely what He is sons, daughters, brothers, and even that one might become His mother. It is an idea which hinges not upon reason, but upon flesh and blood. Yes, the word, reason itself, became flesh. The incarnation means that God is not content to love us from afar in a kind of long-distance relationship, which by the way, they never work out. Well, maybe they do. But up close, moving not only into this world, but into human life all Together, Christians ponder the incarnation and find in Jesus Christ not a kind of moral teacher, although he is that, but a person to be loved, a person who loves us, a person to be worshipped. Those dividers of our true nature want very much for us to believe that we are merely material beings without souls, without spirit, that the universe is devoid of any kind of sacramental character, that there is no invisible God. The division seeks, because it is demonic, to lie to us, to tell us, you are but disgusting animals. God wants nothing to do with you and will have nothing to do with you. But C.S. Lewis gets it exactly right. The incarnation is the beginning of this particular division's undoing. The undoing of a lie told since that fateful day in the garden so many years ago. And for us, it is not a lie which deceives us. It is a lie which kills us. Without the truth, without the truth of God's love and care, without the good news which is proclaimed this very night. We are a people without hope. And that is quite simply not only sad, but deadly. Look at the text from this evening. Jesus is born in the city of the kings of the nations, the city where David himself was born and raised. He is wrapped in swaddling cloths to keep him from crying, to soothe his infant anxiety, and to serve like our diapers. At the same time, we have the eternal God, reason and life, Himself, and we have a human birth no different from any other. And He is laid in a manger. It would have been a rather normal birth, just like any other Bethlehem baby. I'm sure the midwives have seen this before. It would have been very normal, were it not for the fact that those gathered in this place on that night were seeing the invisible God in a way that Adam and Eve could not have imagined. St. Augustine would, would, would later write of this, The word of the Father by whom all time was created was made flesh and was born in time for us. He, without whose divine permission no day completes its course, wished to have one day set aside for his human birth. In the bosom of of his father, he existed before all the cycles of ages. Born of an earthly mother, he entered upon the course of the years on this day. The maker of man became man, that he ruler of the stars might be nourished at the breast, that he, the bread, might be hungry, that he, the fountain, might thirst, that he, the light, might sleep, that he, the way, might be wearied by the journey, that he, the truth, might be accused by false witnesses, that he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge." That he, justice, might be condemned by the unjust. That he, discipline, might be scourged with whips. That he, the grape, might be crowned with thorns. That he, the foundation, might be suspended upon a cross. That courage might be weakened. That security might be wounded. That life might die. To endure these and similar indignities for us, to free us, unworthy creatures, he who existed as the Son of God before all ages, without a beginning, deigned to become the Son of Man in these recent years. He did this, although he who, who submitted to such great evils for our sake had done no evil, and although we who were the recipients of so much good at his hands had done nothing to merit these benefits. Begotten by the Father, He was not made by the Father. He was made man in the the mother whom he himself had made. You see, what is essential on this night is that all our preconceptions about the way the world is or is supposed to be must pass away. For on this night, all the rules in place since the fall are broken. And they will continue to be broken until the whole of creation is shot through with the glory of the Lord revealed to the shepherds on that night. This is at the heart of the the Christmas story. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Nations will stream to your glory. The shepherds see an, an angel, and more than that, the glory of the Lord shone shining upon them, the heavenly host revealed to them. But the sign of the Savior is not on the face glorious. The sign of which the angels tell the shepherds is rather this. A baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. The way, the truth, and the life. Not revealed in glory, but in human flesh. The divine logos in a tent of flesh, just as you and I have. Such that if you cut him, he will bleed. Such that if you nail him to a cross, he will die. Beloved, what we learn on this night is that the problem of sin and death is so great and poses such a dilemma that it must be confronted in the most radical way possible possible, God's taking of human flesh. And while some dismiss it as mere myth, Christians have always seen it as supremely and gloriously necessary. What we learn on this night is that there isn't anything for us to do in the face of sin, evil, and darkness that is magnificent or extreme enough to undo the division, to undo the lie to undo the hostility that exists between us as human beings within our very selves and worse with God. In Jesus Christ, God has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, creating one new man in place of the two. What we see on this night is not final, but rather the very beginning, the genesis of the disappearance of that division. Yes, God with us. Yes, the Messiah. A few weeks ago, I realized that our nativity scene needed to be replaced. And so, like I do just about all of these things, I went on Amazon.com and I ordered a new one, thinking it'll be great, it'll all get here, it'll all be perfect. And I opened the box and found that I had two Marys, two camels, two cattle, no baby Jesus, and no Joseph. So I said, I'll send it back. Send me another one. And they sent me another one. And I opened the box. And it had two Josephs and two camels, another Virgin Mary, a crib, but no baby Jesus. So I called up Amazon. said, uh, this is hilarious, and maybe you can help me with this. And, and finally she just said, you know, there's no way we can get you a baby Jesus before Christmas. And I said, well, I think I know that. She said, do you have one? I said, yes, I do. You see, Amazon can't bring you the baby Jesus. No material purveyor can possibly bring you the word made flesh. God has to do it. And thanks be to God that he does in Jesus. May he be praised and glorified unto ages of ages. Amen.